Welcome to On The Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On The Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On The Spot, now available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. Today, I'm sitting down with the incredible Jillian Bullock, filmmaker, CEO, and president of Jillian Bullock Enterprises, an empowerment and entertainment production company based in Philadelphia. Without further ado, let's start the show. Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey. And our mission is to lead women to success through stories and actionable advice from role models. But the key here is that these role models are relatable. They're women just like you and me who have blazed the trail. And we're bringing them to you so that we can help you walk your own path to success. And today I'm so excited as we welcome Jillian Bullock, who is a writer and filmmaker from Philadelphia. And on the surface, just hearing that title, you might think, hmm, a female filmmaker. You know, there are not very many of those. That's pretty unique. But what if I told you that this incredibly successful and respected woman was the stepdaughter of a member of the Philadelphia Mafia, at one time addicted to drugs and involved in prostitution? Role models come in many forms, and what Jillian has overcome will inspire so many of you who feel like success is not within your grasp. Jillian's story reminds us that we all have the ability to overcome. Welcome, Jillian. I'm really excited to have you today. Thank you for having me. First of all, before we talk about what you're up to now, I'd love for you to sort of go back and just tell us your background and your story and sort of, you know, what your hopes and dreams were growing up and just what did that path look like for you? Well, I grew up in the 60s and 70s and then my stepfather, I'm African-American. My mom got together with this guy who's white and he was in the Italian mafia. So that's how I grew up. He raised me from two years old until teens. So it was interesting living in a different type of environment because my whole block was Italians or Jewish. And me and my siblings were only, you know, black little kids running around. So it was really different for us to be growing up in that area, growing up in that surrounding. And my stepfather, you know, I was like his little girl. He took me everywhere where he could take me. (laughs) And then he just taught me the ways of the mob, the do's and the don'ts. He just filled me in on a lot of different stuff. And then he was also a movie buff. And every Sunday he would take me to the movie. And we would wait to see the credits roll and everything. And then as I got older, he kept telling me that one day I was going to be a filmmaker and a screenwriter. And at that time, I said, he, you know, I thought he was crazy. I had never seen a black filmmaker, let alone a female filmmaker. So, but that was his dream and that made him happy. So I, you know, jumped on board and said, yeah, of course, dad, that's what I'll do. So eventually my mom, you know, she left him because she couldn't deal with the mob. But I still hung out with him. But then he died when I was 15. So that changed the dynamics of things because he was like my best friend. But then my mom married a new guy who was very abusive. And eventually he would beat her every day, practically. And eventually I was like in martial arts, I was a black belt. So eventually I jumped in to try to help her. And when I did, I like busted him up. And then instead of my mom being happy for me saving her, she was upset with me to the point where she kicked me out of the house. Wow. So... Now I'm 15 and I'm on the streets and we were living in Florida at the time, so I didn't know anybody. So I'm homeless and I'm on the streets and trying to survive the best way I can. And it, it was difficult, obviously, being on the streets by yourself, not no money or didn't know anyone. So eventually I was tired of fighting bums off of me at night. I would beeping in the doorways or in the park and they would, guys would try to attack me. And I tried to use my martial arts, but eventually just got too overwhelming. 
And then I was forced to get involved with prostitution in order to get off the streets. I couldn't find food. I, I didn't know what to do. So that's what that started. And to get through that, all the girls took, you know, some form of drugs to get through living that type of life. But in back of my mind, I said, you know, I got to somehow get off these streets and get back to Philadelphia and try to get my life. So I could fill my, my stepfather's dream. And then when I got pregnant at 16, I definitely said I had to get off the streets, which I did. I got back to Philadelphia. I got clean from drugs and I had my son and I just went back to high school and I just, you know, tried to do the best that I could as a single mother, teenager. I didn't know what I was doing, trying to raise a child. And I went to high school and then I went on to college raising my son. And, you know, it was a long haul. Obviously, I made a lot of mistakes, had some setbacks, but I, I did pretty good. I thought because I got a job at the Wall Street Journal as a reporter. And then from there, when I graduated from college, I got an internship on Spike Lee's movie Malcolm X. And that's what really propelled me on to my fulfilling the dream with my stepfather. And that was my dream. And I just kept, you know, working on other people's projects so I could learn and then started working on some of my own projects. And so as a writer, director, producer, so that's how it all came about. <laughs> well, what I think is so interesting is that, you know, what you said about when you were in your darkest moments and, and living on the street and feeling, you know, helpless and not knowing what to do or where to turn, you kept that little nugget of hope, that dream alive of getting out of there and being a filmmaker. And then you were able to reignite that once you had your son. You know, I think it's hard to, to pull out of that. I mean, I think a lot of people maybe have that nugget, but getting that motivation, where did that come from that you finally said enough and just boom, and you left and you, you know, got on with your life? It's strange that I'm always asked that and I always say you have to have some resilience inside yourself to try to fight and come out of the depths of hell because I really was. I mean, I did try to commit suicide while I was on the street because I was just so depressed and I didn't have anywhere to turn. I didn't die. I took a bottle of pills and it, it didn't work. I woke up in the hospital and my stomach was pumped. And, but I said, you know, it must be a reason why I survived. It was really fulfilling my stepfather's wish. Because he and I were so tight. I mean, well, he's a monster. He kills people for a living. He had a different side as well. When he was with me, he taught me a lot of things just about life. And all the stuff that he did teach me about the mob actually did help me survive. Because it helped me to be strong and to be tough and to, you know, not just say, you know, I'm going to be a victim. I have to try to fight back. And that's what I did. And that's what that was from. And then when I got pregnant, I said, there's no way I'm going to allow my son to have the crazy life that I had. There's no way. So I said, I have to do things differently for my child than what my mother did in order for my son to have a better future. So I had to get me together in order to give him better. So that was another great, you know, motivation in my life. It was hard. Obviously, I was a teenager. I'm doing this by myself. And I don't know what to do with a child, a baby. And I'm trying to go back to high school and work part-time and just trying to keep my head above water and then raise a child. It's very difficult. You know, I contemplated putting them up for adoption and everything, which all my, all my family members said I should do. And so I struggled with that and I struggled with staying clean from drugs because I was a drug addict. All the while trying to take care of this little baby. So it, it was difficult, but I was able to do that because I saw something in my future and I knew I wanted to him to have a great future as well. So I had to do what I had to do and, and it worked out fine. It worked out great. That's awesome. I think it's just interesting that, you know, you've got two black belts, right? In Taekwondo and Wing Chun. The Taekwondo and Wing Chun, yes. And what motivated you to pursue the martial arts? I mean, was it for safety? Was it a discipline? I was raped by a family friend when I was 10. And I said, I never want to be a victim again. So to me, that meant learning martial arts in order to try to protect myself. 
of course, I told my stepfather what happened. Of course, my stepfather being a mobster, I guess we all know what happened to the rapist. But even though he was no longer around, I still felt for future, I need to be able to protect myself. So I started taking martial arts. Gotcha. And how have you felt like that has, you know, affected your life? Because I know that martial arts, my son actually did it for a long time. And it's really so much about the discipline. And I don't know, it just seems really like just sort of a thoughtful, respectful in many ways. You know, do you think that that's helped shape you in any way? Other than the physical benefits, it is great for mental and emotional stability as far as trying to be focused because you have to fight. And I learned from my martial arts instructors, you know, I was still angry about a lot of things that happened in my past life. And then when I was fighting, like, you know, we had to spar and I would just be sparring wildly and the teachers would make me stop and say, no, you can't fight out of anger. It can't be emotional. You have to have self-discipline. And that helped me learn to calm the anger down that was inside me in order to do well, in order to get a black belt in both styles. Okay, so let's talk about one of your recent films called A Sense of Purpose, Fighting for Our Lives, a film that focuses on veterans, on PTSD, and on military sexual assault. Why is this topic important? Were you in this military, or do you know people? How did this come about? I was writing the script, and I wanted to do something about veterans. I am a veteran, so I wanted to do something about veterans, try to tell their story. And be a lot, so many veterans have PTSD, and their stories aren't told. So I said, oh, let me, this would be a great story to write. As I was interviewing a lot of different veterans who had PTSD, I found out that majority of them had PTSD because they were sexually assaulted while they were in the military. I was like, whoa, I hadn't experienced that when I was in the military. I didn't know of anyone who had. And is this all female veterans? No, males as well. So I said, that seems like a better angle. And then, you know, it was coming with the Me Too movement and Time's Up movement. I said, this is a very timely subject to be talking about sexual assault and rape in the workplace. Because if you think about it, the military is the largest employer in the world. We have men and women all over the world. So this goes on. And unlike someone who sexually assaulted or raped in the, in the civilian world, it's different for military people because they don't have an outside counsel that they can go to. A lot of times they sort of go to the chain of command. Well, what happens if the chain of command, you know, your captain or something is the one who actually raped you? Where do you go? What do you do? So I found these interesting stories and I said, well, let me put a different type of spin on the movie. And I changed the script around. It focuses on a woman who was in the army and she was sexually assaulted by her commanding officer. And she comes pregnant with his baby. So she gets a discharge, but she's depressed. She has PTSD because she's a Christian woman and her belief is, you know, abortion is wrong, but she was raped. So she's like, do I keep the baby? Do I not keep the baby? And she struggles. She struggles and she's angry and she's hurt uh, emotionally. But the twist on that, uh, so the commanding officer who actually raped her, I told his story as well, because usually we don't get that side. We don't decide of why you a predator or sexual predator, what happened in your life that made you this way. I focused on both stories so people could see both sides that I thought it made it more interesting. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I think that even from your upbringing with your stepfather in the mafia, you probably learned early on that there are two sides to everything. How do you sort of glean the good and, you know, understand it at least at some level? That's super interesting. We showed the film to some veterans organizations, and at first, the actor, John Quinlan, who plays the commanding officer, they hated him at the beginning, and we do a Q&A at the end, and at first, they're, they're hitting him with hard questions, and they're upset with him, but then they see the other side of what happened to him. And then they realize, oh, this is why he is the way he is. And it kind of softens them. Those say they forgive him, but they have a, a better understanding. Right. Well, and I think it, it also gives a better understanding to how you actually 
go about solving this problem. You know, it can't just be punishment. I was listening to NPR actually yesterday, they were talking about the violence in schools and these kids that get expelled when really they need to be identified and get into therapy because the anger takes over. And that's when this violence and the school shootings and that we need to actually change this dynamic and we need to get help to those people you know, get help on that side. Otherwise, we're never going to be able to stop it. It was just real interesting. I think this is, you know, similar. We need to have discussions about both sides and what's happening. And that's why I did the film where I did it. Normally, they don't do it that way. They just put it on the victim side and which she's going through. But like I said, there's another side and there's reasons why people do what they do. So you need to explore that as a filmmaker. That's what I tried to do. So let's talk a little bit about ethnicity. Um, You're a Black woman, as you said, and have you had any particular challenges that you feel like were related to your sex or your race? You know, I think I've been very fortunate that I have not because, you know, I also think it's how I carry myself. I carry myself as a very strong individual, very confident woman. So when I go into a meeting or when I talk to people, you know, I know exactly what I want and I know what I will tolerate and what I will not tolerate. And if I don't get something that I'm after because I stood up for myself, then that's just the way it is. I'll find a different way to do it. But again, that comes back to that upbringing with the mob, you know, all that, because I was taught to be strong and confident and don't take no crap from anybody. That has helped serve me. I mean, I'm very respectful to other people and I just tell my point of view and what I need as a filmmaker. And if they can't understand that, I'm not going to compromise my beliefs or my ethics or my integrity for anybody. That is an amazing trait because, of course, we all, you know, know that it's a big issue with women having this confidence gap and, you know, how we work to overcome that. And I think that just having those go to and really thinking through before you go into a situation, okay, this is my line and it's okay if they disagree with me. Sometimes we don't feel like it's okay. We get so worked up that if somebody disagrees with us or or doesn't immediately support us that we feel deflated. So learning to have that conviction, that's not an easy thing to do for sure. No, it's not. And and like, again, most women aren't taught that. Most little girls aren't taught that. That needs to change as well. You know, I'm a professional speaker and I go around and speak. I tell the women that you have to train your daughters young, you know, to have that confidence and that resilience and that I will not tolerate this. You know, if it's my job, if I lose my job, I go to another job or I do something else. I'm not going to tolerate something that's going to go against me. You're not going to touch me or talk to me a certain kind of way. I'm not going to take it. So, you know, women can can be seen as aggressive or if they're like that, I don't care (laughs) because this is what women need to do because they have a right to stand up for themselves and they have a right to follow their dreams and not be pressured into doing something that they don't want to do. And on that note, are there any particular mantras or people that you surround yourself with or, you know, just any kind of advice you can give for other women who maybe feel like giving up? You know, what resources did you harness and what advice might you give to women? I always leave my speeches with my quote that your past doesn't dictate what your future will be. Because if you look at my past, no one would have thought I would have achieved what I have. And no one would have thought my son, you know, he's a black male. So I always was told he was going to be you know, on drugs or doing criminal activity be in prison. And I made sure that he didn't. In fact, May, my son walked to get his PhD and he speaks like five languages. And, you know, so I made sure that he was not going to be a statistic. So when women look at their lives and they see that something is hard, yeah, life is hard. But the thing is, they have to find a path that works for them, meaning that 
they have to, like you said, associate themselves with people who are positive and who can uplift them. And they have to get rid of the people that are negative distractors and haters and people who are not supportive. And that could be your family members. It could be your spouse. It could be whoever. You know, to me, life is just too short. It is just too short to be going through life unhappy and not living your fullest potential and being successful and attaining your greatness. It's just too short. So that's me. And also I tell women to get a mentor. I had a mentor when I was at the Wall Street Journal. The bureau chief was my mentor, Frank Allen. And man, that made a world of difference in my life because they know more than you do and they're going to help uh, groom you. And I say groom you because it's not just the job. They will help groom you in every way that you need grooming. Like Wall Street Journal, I had to be groomed on how to dress like a reporter and how to speak like a reporter and how to conduct myself as a reporter. Things I didn't know. And that goes beyond learning how to write as a reporter. Right. So a mentor is definitely key. So I think if anybody can find a mentor in their area, just go online and Google mentors in the areas that they are in and just write them, you know, email them a letter and say, listen, I would love you to be my mentor. And you tell them what you like about them and why you think they could be a great mentor for you. Most people don't mind doing it. They want to help, but you just have to ask. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, we just talk a little bit about role models because that's what On the Dot is all about. Is it providing relatable role models? I mean, we're trying to change that to a mindset of abundance, right? That positiveness Mm -hmm. that you were talking about, surrounding yourself by positive people. Not everyone can find that tribe. And so we're trying to help create that through serving up these role models every single day where we talk to women and encourage them through the stories of other women. I know you had your mentor, but do you have other particular role models, you know, people that you look to or their stories that have inspired you? I do look at a lot of motivational videos with people online. And like one guy is David Goggins. I don't know if you know who he is. He is like, they call him the fittest athlete in the world, but it was more his mental state of how he trains himself to be able to do ultra marathons and like two hours of sleep. But his mental state of you have to work through the pain in order to come out on the other side of greatness, I think is amazing. And I do look at it, a lot of his stuff and a lot of other motivational people who have had lives like mine. Because if, to me, if you've come from a life of, a, you know, success and abundance of your family, you have money and this and that, I don't radiate with that person. I can't connect with that type of person because they already had things handed to them. So I look at the Oprah's and, like I said, David Goggins and other people who have had to struggle. They had a rough life because <laughs> it, it relates to me. And then I study them and I see how they overcame things and how they worked through things and how they build their empires. And, you know, that helps me. Then I know what I have to do to do the same thing. So people can do that. Women can do that as well. If they can't find a mentor. If you do it every day, you look at one of these videos like an hour every day and you study, you write down what they're saying and you implement that and you go out and try to do it. It'll eventually, it'll happen for you. Yeah, Absolutely. People ask me all the time, gosh, you do on the dot every day? And I'm like, yes, we do it daily because it's a habit. You have to commit to that habit, just like anything else, like working out, like doing anything and achieving anything. Mm -hmm. If you want to achieve a mindset change and a positive force and to overcome things, you have to put those things in front of you that are going to help you do that. But only you can do that for yourself, right? You've got to make the choice to do that. I mean, everybody has to find their why. You know, they have to find their why, why they want to do this. Mine was fulfilling me to dream of my stepfather, and it was also to give my son a better life. That was my why. Those two things were my why. But everybody has to find theirs because then, even though you might slip and fall and fail at things, which is good, you have to learn from them failures, you um, also know what not to do the next time. 
you know, this is how you learn. So it's like a kid who falls off a bicycle. Well, you won't put the bicycle away and say, okay, Johnny, never get back on that bicycle again. You say, Johnny, dust yourself off, get back on the bicycle. Let's try this again until you get it together. You know, same things in life. You, you're going to fall, but then again, you can't keep repeating the same habits that you've been doing. So if you're around the same people like me, you know, I'm a former drug addict. So if I'm still hanging around drug addicts, more likely that I'm going to go back to using drugs. So I got to cut those people out of my life. Totally. Right. So it's like if you're trying to lose weight, well, you can't hang around your friends who want to go out and party every night or want to eat pizzas and cakes and cookies every day. You have to find a new group of people, maybe a different fitness group of folks who you can join that team and say, hey, they'll hold you accountable for you not getting out there and working out or eating crap. They'll call you on it. Those are the type of people that you need. You need to be in the room with people who can help lift you up and who can hold you accountable because you need those people to give you a kick in the butt sometimes to say you're doing wrong. Come on, let's get it together. A lot of it does depend on who you surround yourself with. It's very key. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I understand that you are actually writing an empowerment book. Where you're in the middle of that now, is that correct? Yeah, uh, I'm still writing it. Resilience in life lessons. You know, are there a couple of little nuggets you could share with us as we close today? Well, some nuggets I share is like as soon as you get up in the morning, you know, of course you should hit the ground, hit your knees and say, or if you don't want to hit your knees, just, just write down five things that you're grateful for every morning. This should be a constant thing because people tend to think that their life is so bad sometimes, but they don't realize just the fact that you opened your eyes and you're breathing. That's a great thing to be grateful for, right. you know, because a lot of people, their eyes didn't wake up. Then you have to do some kind of movement. You know, people usually get up, they grab their phone, which is a no-no. You shouldn't grab your phone for the first hour that you're up. Moving your thumbs does not count. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you don't look at your phone. It's just negative energy first thing in the morning that you're starting to get on your phone and just starting to text people and look at social media. No. You're talking about your mental health as well and your emotional health and your spiritual health. So then you grab your warm water. This helps flushes out the detoxes in your body. You want water, put some lemon in it. First thing in the morning, that's what you do. And then you move. You move for 15 to 20 minutes. Whether you do a little stretching or you do a little yoga, whatever you do. This sets you up. To have a powerful, great day, as opposed to, oh, another tip I was, I'm putting in the book. Do not hit that snooze button. As soon as your alarm goes off, get up. Do not hit that snooze button. Then when you hit the button, 10 minutes. Then you hit the button again, 10 minutes. It does something chemically to your body, but it's in the book. So that's one chapter. <laughs> that's awesome. I just so appreciate you sharing so much today and being so open. You have an amazing story and I look forward to the book coming out. Be sure to let us know. Oh. I know that all of our listeners will want to grab a copy of it. Just keep us posted on what you do next. We're just super proud to have you in our fold and appreciate you being with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it as well. Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot, where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass boss you were meant to be. Tune into next week's episode when we sit down with Brooke Wapsh, co-founder and CEO of Swoovy, a new mobile dating app that connects single people to go on a date volunteering for a nonprofit. Share On The Dot with your tribe. Like, subscribe, and share onthedotwoman.com, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you stream your favorite pods.